Look, up on the slopes. What is that? Well, it looks like a pair of cross-country skiers going downhill. No, it must be some alpine skiers with broken bindings. Wait, on closer inspection, it's... Those Telly Guys. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Those Telly Guys. My name is Morgan and I'm joined as ever by Rich. How are you going, mate? I am very good, Morgs. I've got a big smile on my face. I'm having a great time at the moment. Because you're having a good time. You're having a good time. What have you been doing? You've been out at the Tawonga Huts today? What have you been you cruising around the high plains, freeing the hill, out on the volleys, out on the mad chusses? What's been going on? Yeah, well, exactly what you just said. A colleague and I, we shot out to Tawonga Huts across part of the high plains, and it was a lovely day. Snow, a little bit variable, but it was great. And we headed out there to clean a hut and uh, tidy up a very messy toilet. Uh, thanks to those that contributed in that and uh yeah cruised on back but always a lovely time to be up in the mountains on a sunny day and and yeah geez it was lovely and feather top and bogong they look absolutely loaded after that big dump of snow on sunday and geez it was a bigger yeah. bigger dump than they thought they were going to get i think absolutely yeah some of the resorts were calling like 30 40 centimeters i reckon maybe totals but you know this is mid-july that we're talking about right now as we're sitting here rich but it's it's amazing really like um like quite a nice storm came through um and i guess you can tell us a little bit about those what the snow is actually like on the weekend but this weather it's just been absolutely gorgeous like sunny days beautiful even down here in melbourne as well Freezing cold though, like some serious frosts in the morning. Negative two, I think it was when I was heading off to work this morning. But yeah, what was the snow like? Yeah, well, the snow was, it was interesting on Sunday, I guess it had dumped Saturday night and look, it was quite humid when you got up there, the humidity was up and it made some parts pretty sticky for sure, a little bit heavy, but I really found some great stuff on the Southern aspects. Um, where it was a bit out of the wind, I suppose, in in the trees, and it was really, really good. Just nice to be skiing some fresh snow, not blower powder or anything like that, just, you know, some good classic Australian snow. Yeah, and it was great. Everyone was having a really good time and certainly appreciate that I could be a part of it on the Sunday. But it looks like people on the Monday got the goods. The humidity seemed to have dropped a bit and no wind. It looked like a beautiful day on Monday. But, you know, working nine till five, you can't have it all, hey? Yep, just to make a living. Just to make a living. Great. But we do have an interview that we're going to jump to in a sec with Hugh Kingston, who is doing the Alpine Odyssey, and we'll hear all about that. But before we do that, Morgan, we've had alert listener Armo send us some information. You've got mail. About those loose duck butts. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so the astute listener would remember from episode a few weeks ago, Rich, that when we were talking about my NTN experience, that my ski, my boot actually fell away from the binding as I was sitting on the chair and I was on the phone and it was all a bit chaotic. And we were sort of sitting there thinking, what on earth is going on? But Armo, friend of the show, has sent through an article to us, Rich, which actually tells us that the crispy NTN duck butts come up short by Dosty. So this is none other than Craig Dosty himself. Some of our listeners may know who he is. Um, I, I don't, I, I've never met him, but I've heard him on Josh Madsen's Free Your Life podcast before. Um, and I've heard Bruce at Wilderness Sports talk about him. He's obviously a bit of a telemark guru over there in the States. But basically this article is just telling us that 
the for some reason the specs of the distance between the front of the boot and where the duck butt is on the crispy boots is two mil shorter um, than on the equivalent scarpa or garmont boot so how about that it is interesting isn't it and i thought i read somewhere in there that it was only on the small boots but yeah it, there seems to be some road cases with even large boots and yeah i don't know I don't know what to do about that, Morgan. I mean, obviously, I don't have to do anything about it. But, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, it can really. I feel like it might may really have put some people in a compromised position. Like some people may not uh, feel confident skiing around on their NTN skis anymore. I wonder if there's any cases of people sending their boots back to the manufacturer because you know, like I think that would be that that there would be a case to be made. You know, seeing that the product does not do what it is designed to do like if it is not you know if it's physically not up to spec and not going to fit in with the binding then i suppose there's probably a you know case to be made on the consumer's behalf but yeah it's a bit of an interesting one and i'd be keen to hear yeah like if as i think we mentioned the other week like if other people had had experiences where this was the case um, particularly it seems with the 22 designs outlaw x binding because of the way that it attaches. It seems to be, just from what I've seen, less of an issue with with the Rotterfeller setup, just the way that it works. I mean, it may still be a problem, but it seemed to be less obvious, I suppose, when I was, you know, based on my one day of NTN skiing. Mm-hmm. Well, something we'll have to look into the future. We'll have to test more bindings with those crispy boots and just see what the best sort of setup is, I guess. Anyway... Morgs, as you probably jump to the interview I had with Hugh Kingston, the, the I guess the owner of the Alpine Odyssey. He's doing this trek across all of the Australian Alps and skiing 12 of Australia's lift-assisted areas. And uh, it was a really good chat, super interesting. And I hope people get behind the great cause, our yarning project that he's raising funds for. Fantastic. It's, it was a really good chat. Let's go to that now. Nice one. Alrighty, my guest tonight is Hugh Kingston, a writer, adventurer, speaker, and environmentalist that has been interested in the Type 2 fun for a long time. Hugh has completed many interesting adventures on foot, in a boat, on wheels, and on skis, and that's what we're interested about. In 1997, Hugh completed a 600-kilometer ski traverse of the Australian Alps, and this year he aims to repeat this trip but aim to go one better by skiing all the lift-assisted resorts along the way whilst raising funds for a good cause. The Alpine Odyssey will aim to raise funds for Our Yarning, a charity organisation that Hugh is deeply passionate about. Hugh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rich, and warm greetings to you. We appreciate you coming on the show. I was kind of drawn, first drawn to the Alpine Odyssey. I saw some information about it online on the uh, Australian Backcountry group and... Yeah subsequently went to your website and have since discovered that you're, you seem to be quite an interesting adventurer and we'll get to some of those things in a minute but you've just got back from overseas is that correct not long ago i got back richie i got back about uh, two weeks maybe three weeks ago now so it was the first uh, international travel for two plus years which was pretty weird uh, but it was mainly a trip to the uk to catch up with uh, family, mum and dad and so because I'm originally from the UK, originally from Wales. So uh, catching up with, with, with the folks doing a lot of eating, doing a lot of drinking, fine, warm beer <laughs> and not as much exercise, not as much exercise as I should. But I did manage to uh, 
to uh, get a great week's uh, cycling in the Outer Hebrides off the west western coast of Scotland. So I did do a little bit of exercise there. Is there any nice distilleries over that way? I imagine there would be. Oh, look, there's plenty of distilleries. I'm not a, I'm not a great spirit drinker, but uh, twist my arm and I'll, I'll have a wee dram or oh, two. Beautiful. And um, have you managed to sneak onto the slopes yet of the Australian Alps since you've been back? I have. In fact, uh, this morning I came back out from a, an absolutely stunning night uh, out up on the Ramsheads on the main range. I mean, we had uh, the most beautiful of full moons, a completely still night, uh, and I didn't I didn't head up until sort of after dusk last night and caught up with some mates and camped on the range this morning. Another beautiful beautiful sunrise and uh, and some. Uh, oh, absolute ripper snow conditions which is pretty amazing given the lack of real heavy falls in the last few weeks really since that big dump that I missed early in June so so yeah got back back in today I've had a couple of trips out onto the range a few skates and uh, had a day uh, ripping it up with the grand, some of the grandkids on Threadbow earlier this week as well so slowly getting my ski legs back but uh it's always that uh, that challenge between a or just in the weeks before a a big trip away. You know, you're trying to get your your, your life uh, packaged away for a, for a while and, and and everything to do, obviously with the gear and and other things uh, to do with the actual Alpine Odyssey itself. So, uh, but yeah, getting out a little bit, but not as much as I would have liked. Yeah, I guess you'll need as much time on the sticks as possible before the the big trip to get those legs warmed up and ready well you do you, you, you do you do get pretty fit along the way so yeah. it always hurts whatever however fit you are it always hurts for the first week so yeah i've got some a lot of questions about the alpine odyssey but before we jump into that we always ask our guests where they got their passion for adventure for or where their love for the mountains came from can you share some insight to where your your journey started yeah, look for me. I I guess I, I got into hiking in the in the UK probably as a uh, thanks to a, an uncle of mine who who sort of took me out into the the fells of the Lake District and the Peak District when I was in my mid to late teens. Uh, but it was probably really university that uh, that really got me into not skiing but paddling and, and rock climbing and, and more more hiking. And I certainly spent. I went to I went to university in a northern English city called Bradford, which sits on the edge of the Yorkshire Dales, which is a beautiful part of the world. And I certainly spent a hell of a lot more time in the lecture theatre of the Dales than the lecture theatres of, of Bradford. <laughs> so, uh, so that was probably where I really, uh, really got into the love, love of the hills, love of the mountains. But from a skiing perspective, I, I came to Australia after university, bummed around for a year on a working holiday visa and found myself working at Charlotte Pass uh, for a season. Oh, nice. And uh, that's where I I sort of went there with a, a pair of downhill skis, but I did ditch those within the first few weeks and got into some, some cross-country and telly and, you know, started, you know, that really started the love affair, whatever that is, 35 years or so ago, the love affair with the... Uh, Australian backcountry and uh, so that was where skiing started and my, that was my first season and my second season was was uh, was the Himalaya and, and and I think it was at the end of that season at Charlotte Pass when a guy popped up in, in the village who'd skied through the you know from the Victorian Alps a guy called Glenn Tempest and I got chatting to Glenn and 
he said, well, what are you doing, you know, next March? This was in like September, October. And he said, what are you doing next March? And I said, well, my visa in Australia is up. He said, well, do you want to come skiing in, in India? <laughs> so season two went from Australia to uh, straight to the Himalaya. And then I fell in love with ski touring and particularly long uh, ski tours through through the Indian Himalaya for about 12 or 15 years after that. So uh, quite a steep learning curve. A really steep learning curve, especially in the Himalaya. And I'm just wondering, <laughs> you said you got into, you know, tally and, and some XC stuff there too. So what sort of gear were you on in the Himalaya? Were you like leather boots? Yeah, absolutely. So the certainly the first trip I did there in 90, in 90 uh, sorry, in 87 was uh, an ex-hire pair of uh, Kahu the XCD GTs or something uh, and uh, a single single leather boot and uh, we, we did some pretty amazing ski touring on those uh, amazing I didn't get frostbite as well <laughs> uh, but uh, so that started with that and even even right through to you know as I say I, I fell in love with India fell in love with 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 the Himalaya and a few years after that I'd, I'd done some other trips back there and then did a 35-day, 600-kilometer traverse, uh, four of us from Kashmir to Kulu, and even even then we were on I had double double uh, leather boots then, but uh, still fairly thin. I think I had some Fisher E99 skis and sort of used those for 35 days through through the Himalaya. So, uh, and now of course we're all completely completely soft uh, plastic boots <laughs> yeah. and our, and our wide skis and uh, put me on that gear now and I'd uh, I'd, uh, I'd I'd be a real mess I reckon. Yeah, well, traversing just wombat's ramble was enough for me in the old leather boots. We've we've kind of gone back in time. Uh, Morgan, my co-host, is not with us at the moment. Um, he's a bit busy, but it's yeah. I mean, it's tough, but we can do it. But geez, we certainly you know would like to pay homage to you know you guys doing that stuff in the Himalayas. That's incredible. Like on leather boots. Well, I, I, I think if you can find it, I think there was a, a front cover of Wild magazine back in in the late eighties that had, that's captioned Hugh Kingston telemarking off Hampton Pass in 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 the cooler region of the Himalaya, and it doesn't look anything like a telemarker, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. Wow. But so eighty seven, you, you said you did that trip. So ten years between, I guess, the first winter traverse. Um, yep. What happened in that period of time? You said you, you've done some other trips as well, but um, were you living in Australia or living somewhere else and coming back and forth? No, no. So I, I actually moved to Australia in 1990. Oh, yeah. Uh, so after that year, I thought it wasn't a bad place to hang out. So I uh, I uh, came back, came to Australia with my partner at the time, took a job as marketing manager for Paddy Palling because I was working in the outdoor industry and uh, – and then, yeah, and, and, and very much continue that love affair of of uh, of the of the snow country, the you know the snowies, uh, particularly in New South Wales, and got round to I think it was Easter '97, and I was on a bit of a solo hike through the the Budawangs in New South Wales, and I was actually off a few weeks later to to, to do a, a ski trip in Pakistan, a solo thing, and I thought, well, I'm going to come back from that, and I'm going to be in Australia for the winter and how about this idea of skiing the length of the Australian Alps and uh, so I was lying in my sleeping bag in this rock overhang in the Butterwangs and by morning time the idea of skiing the length of the snow country it developed into well why don't I actually start at Flinders Street Station in Melbourne finish at the Opera House in Sydney 
and include that ski traverse in a journey that would be by bike, by kayak, by ski, and 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 by foot. So, uh, so so that yeah, so that's how the '97 ski trip came about. That actually was part of that uh, journey from from Melbourne to Sydney, a sort of 53 day winter journey, which was a, a magical way to see the southeast corner of our wonderful country. That is a, a remarkable time to do that. And um, we, I think we talked to Mark Oates last year, and I think they did the traverse in a pretty remarkable time, but it wasn't starting from Melbourne and finishing in Sydney too. So there's a bit of biking in there as well. And and boating, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, so some 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 kites, some river paddling and some some bushwalking and mountain bike stuff as well. Yeah. Wow. But that wasn't but the Alp but the Alps itself, that was that was skiing uh from Bulbore through to <coughs> to Kyandra in New South Wales. And uh, uh there was some biking between the Omeo Highway off after Bogong up to uh up to Dead Horse Gap and Threadbow, as there will be this year on Alpine Odyssey. So that lower country, uh, I'll, I'll actually hop on a mountain bike this year as well and uh, and do that 150 kilometre section on the on the bike. Yeah, before we start talking about this year's trip, going back to 97, you said you were lying in a cave thinking about, you know, doing this trip of that year. I mean, it seems quite remarkable that you managed to bang it all together, given that you, you know, did start in Melbourne and finish in Sydney and have various legs of skiing, biking, walking and paddling. Like how long did it take you to plan a trip like this? Oh, not all that long, really. I think I was going to say, I was, that was Easter 97 when I decided to do it. And then I was overseas in Pakistan for a while in the UK, came back at the beginning of winter. I, I think on that trip, I left fairly late. It was sort of mid-August. But, uh, I, I, you know, I just thought, well, I'll, I'll just follow the range. I did have a couple of food, well, really only one food stash put in at Bluff Hut that uh, Victorian Parks put, very kindly put in for me there and uh, sort of made my way to Bulbore by bike from the centre of Melbourne uh, through the bush and then picked up the pack and, and headed off. And, and uh, certainly one thing that was memorable about that trip in 97 was that between Mount Bulbore and Mount Hotham, because I wasn't diverting to ski off other resorts like I am this time to go to Buller. It was 18 days between Bulbore and Hotham, and, and I didn't see a soul. And of course, in those days, there was no, well, I didn't have a mobile phone, I didn't have anything. So it was a pretty special to be able to do that almost three weeks without seeing another person. Uh, I think when I went to Bluff Hut to pick up the food stash, I was hoping I might, you know, have some human interaction because <laughs> I did. I did have two two cans of beer in the stash. I thought well, I might share them, but I didn't get to share them, so I get to drink. I got to drink them both myself. So. Oh yeah, well, geez, what beers well earned by the time you got there too. Well, that's quite remarkable <laughs> that you didn't see anyone at all. I mean, these days it seems like backcountry is getting bigger and bigger. And you know, just speaking of even just going up Bogong multiple times every season, it seems like you know the participants in that kind of industry is growing. I can't even imagine waltzing around up in the, the high country somewhere and not seeing someone for 19 days. That's amazing. Yeah, it was good. But um, when you were on skis, what equipment were you using then? Had you got into the plastic boot realm by 97 or was it still leather back uh, then? Uh, no, I did. I had a pair of plastic boots. I uh, I had a pair of Scarpa T3s. Uh, they don't do any more and I'm not surprised they don't do any more because one of the one of the overbearing memories of of the ski traverse in 1997 was the most hellish of foot problems uh and i was chopping bits of chunks of plastic out of these 
boots and cutting up my sleeping mat to pad out areas in the boot and it was uh, it was pretty hellishly uncomfortable but uh, that was probably as much my 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 foot's fault as the boots faults I'd, I'd have some other scarper t2s and whatever the early models from the early 90s but I'd, i i did have a a hell time with uh, with footwear uh, on, on that trip <laughs> and i and i used some morotto touring skis with a fish you know tele skis or cross-country skis with a fish scale base uh, which which you know worked pretty well, but I think they were, I think they were still probably 100, no, maybe 195 or 200 long. Uh, the skis I'm taking this time are 164, so but a foot. Oh, wow, shorter. yeah, geez, <laughs> certainly changed. Wow. Oh well, well, now that we're you know we're talking about equipment of this trip, um, yeah, obviously you're aiming to complete the, the winter reverse and stop in at all the the various lift assisted areas for Australian skiing, where did the idea of, of this come from? Like, uh, what gave you the, the thought to try and drop into all the resorts? Yeah, look, I, I, I realised early early in the year, I think January time, that it was 25 years since I'd done the Traverse uh, back in 97, so it was an anniversary of some some description. And I thought, oh, well, I'm, you know, once again, I'm, I plan to be around in Oz this, most of this winter why don't uh, <clears throat> why don't I give it a go again see how I am certainly a little older but no wiser uh, to uh, to give it a go again in this year and I, I'd already uh, been uh, a, a long-time ambassador for a wonderful charity called save the children which which originally started about eight years ago when I spent a year circumnavigating the Mediterranean Sea by sea kayak and ocean rowboat and, and and trekking from Gallipoli back to Gallipoli. And I, I partnered with Save the Children then to raise money for uh, Syrian refugee children. That was at the time of the, the desperate crisis on the Mediterranean with the, the Syrian uh, tragedy. So ever since then, I've done a lot of work with Save the Children. And I early again, earlier this year, I've become aware of this project that they have called Our Yarning, which was uh, having indigenous authors and illustrators write their stories in book form for indigenous primary school age kids and stories both obviously that the books are primarily for, for for first nations kids but i think ultimately you know we all need not just children but adults as well to have a much better understanding of you know our first nations people and mm. the stories behind you know the oldest oldest continuous culture in the world so i got quite inspired by that project so i thought well if i do ski the alpine chain again in 2022 i'd like to raise funds for the Ariyaning project so uh, and then i thought well part of that to give it a, even a bit more visibility if you like could I ski at each of the dozen mainland ski areas? Obviously, Tassie's got two uh, ski areas, but a dozen uh, ski areas in the mainland, two of which aren't lift-assisted, being Lake Mountain and Mount Buffalo. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, could I do that and divert along the way? Be, and, and that's really worked out, even though it's obviously added time and some complexity to the journey that, you know, the vast majority of the, the resorts have really just grabbed this with, with both hands and are hosting me. And indeed, I think one of the challenges will be, you know, once I'm at those resorts and they're putting me up in a in a warm bed and giving me a, oh, yeah. a, a beautiful meal and a bottle of red, that it's <laughs> going to be quite difficult to to leave. <laughs> uh, 
but no, it's it's all good. And that really nicely plays into the fundraising because if any of your listeners go on to my website, the Alpine Odyssey section of hughkingston.com, that's Hugh the Welsh way, H-U-W, they'll see that part of the fundraising, I'm actually selling the resorts. You could buy Mount Buller, you could buy Buffalo, you can buy Hotham, and you could buy Mount Bogong and Kosciuszko just for fun and you get issued with a special title deed for a good deed. So <laughs> that's cool. So that's it's all cool. it's all sort of playing into that. Threadbow even bought themselves. They didn't want any, you know, miserable corporate raider to come <laughs> in and, and buy them. So they 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 paid the two and a half thousand dollars to buy themselves. So uh, yeah. So there's still there's still uh, you know New South Wales resorts and mountains have gone down very well, but we've uh, we've still got a few things in Victoria to sell. So uh, anyone who wants to hop in and buy. A mountain or a or a, a resort, and you can also nominate your own favourite places in the mountains and make an offer to buy that. That's as well as obviously just general donations to the to the fundraising of whether it's five bucks or five thousand bucks. It doesn't matter. It's all you know wonderful towards the target that I have of fifty thousand um, dollars. We're about about halfway there now. Wow, well on the way, and uh, I, I reckon reckon you'll get there, especially if you sell all the other resorts off. And and just speaking of the resorts, I was just trying to think off the top of my head the twelve areas that you will be going to. Would you be able to help me jog my memory? You've mentioned a few there already. Yep. So I'll I'll start at Lake Mountain, a cross country ski area, and then Borbor, Sterling, Buller, Hotham Falls. Hotham Dinner Plain, uh, with the ski lift there and a few trails, Falls, Buffalo, Threadbow, Charlotte Pass, Perisher, Mount Selwyn. I think I've got them all. Wasn't getting Dinner Plain out. Yes. Oh, well, very cool. That's, yeah, amazing. And like you mentioned, it's going to make it a bit longer by visiting all this. Have you added the distance up yet? Like obviously, like the Australian Alps track, typically 600 Ks, people say, if you're following that, this is obviously going to add a few more Ks. How much bigger is it going to be roughly? Oh, look, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing the whole of the Australian Alpine walking track. So I'm not starting, start, I start with a vengeance, if you like, at Borbor, so a day or so along uh, just off to the side of the Alpine walking track and uh, I mean, I'll follow a, a lot of the route of it, but probably the skiing in the resorts is going to add, well, I, I, I estimate it's going to take me about 50 days, so maybe 15 days, 12, 15 days more than if I was just just doing the route. Uh, and so, you know, you've got things. So one of the biggest challenges actually is, uh, I mean, most of the resorts, apart from Lake Mountain and Buffalo, which I'll just access by vehicle first, and from Buffalo I'll go there for a day trip from from falls all the other ones are pretty much on my route uh, or, or not too far off my route but uh, the, the, the the big diversion really is is to get to sterling and buller uh so i'll be up on the crosscut saw uh and it's pretty it's going to be a, quite a challenge to get off the crosscut saw some pretty gnarly terrain to get sort of 30 kilometers or so across to mount sterling uh and then have a, a night there and a, a bit of a ski there and then i'll ski across to Buller a couple of nights there and then i'll go back you know basically retrace my steps to get back on the uh back on the ridge and back up onto the crosscut saw so there's you know there's probably you know three you know another even that even that diversion is maybe two days to get across there you know three days around Buller sterling and then a day or two back so you know that's mm. like a six six day uh, diversion, if you like, just to just to be able to ski buller and, uh, and and Sterling. Yeah, well, even that sounds like quite a exciting part of the trip. Like I'm picturing the crosscut. So, are you thinking of like going down Queen Spur or something like that? Or 
Uh, I'm planning on going down uh, Stanley Namespur. Yeah, that way. So I think it's pretty gnarly at the top. I mean, it depends. Obviously, in conditions, there's a little bit rocky and steep at the top there. Depends how icy it is and and uh, and whatever. But uh, we'll see when we get there. I don't know many people who've you know I've read too many reports of people who've done that in winter. So uh, so I think that'll be quite a quite a challenging section of the of the trip. Uh, yeah, it'll be really cool to hear about these these different areas and um, yeah, trying to link up things. Um. Yeah, I really enjoy hearing about these sort of these sort of trips. But I'm I'm interested to know you've obviously done this in 1997 as well. Mm-hmm. Are you still planning on using tele gear, or are you going to be on <laughs> AT gear? Like uh, any uh, any changes in terms of you know what you might have learnt or what influenced the trip from last time that you'll do differently this time? Yeah, look, I, I you know tele skier for Nordic skier for thirty odd thirty five years or more. I. I did like so many people dip into the world of AT two seasons ago, as you know, as AT boots in particular have got lighter and the, the bindings and skis, you know, the gear is probably generally lighter on the AT side than it is on the tele side. So I sort of have been crossing over uh, sometimes shamefully, but uh, I think <laughs> I've, accepted, I've, I've, accepted, I've accepted it now. Um, and I, for this trip, I... I decided to to use some AT gear mainly because my AT boots are the most comfortable boots I've got, and then mm. having had the experience I had in '97, so I'm I'm using a uh, AT uh, setup, and I'm actually using that. You mentioned Mark Mark Oates, uh, chatting to him about when 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 mm-hmm. uh, he, he and his brother Andy did that traverse. I'm actually using the same skis as those. Oh uh, right, the volley volley up volley object objectives. Yes, they look awesome, don't uh, they? Yeah. And yeah, with a pattern base. And I've gone short on those as well for weight and and when I am carrying them. So uh so that's the the setup I'm using for the uh, for the trip. Uh beyond beyond that learnings, uh I, I have got a food stash. I, you know I had one at Bluff Hut I mentioned before and uh I've now got another one earlier than that. So instead of taking off with like you know 10, 12 days worth of food uh, I, I probably only got to set off with you know five five days five six days worth of food uh, to get to my first food depot and fuel depot. So uh, hopefully a slightly uh, lighter pack. Uh, have I learned anything else? Uh, oh, look, I think you know you you learn all the time as you as, as you you do these sort of things over the years. Uh, you know, for me in some ways, I'm 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 just shy of sixty now. So uh, you know, there's I still think. I can mix it up there as with the 30 year olds and generally I think I can, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how I compare the the push and mentally and physically in, in 2022 and you know, compared to 97, uh, you know, gear wise, you know, it's gears a little bit lighter uh, generally uh, the North face for me are, are a key sponsor. They've come on board with, you know, in, in a major way, which is great with a lot of the kit for packs and all the clothing and stuff. So there's some really great kit there. Uh, so, uh, but I'll just, uh, I just hope that, uh, the, 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 the weather gods generally will, will smile upon the trip and, uh, and the health gods as well. And, uh, we'll be able to, uh, we'll be able to complete it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we obviously got some snow up high, at least at the moment, from that big dump. Seems to be sticking around and well-established. 
Can you remember in 97 whether it was good conditions then? And, you know, if it wasn't, I guess you're going to be used to walking <laughs> long distances anyway between, you know, the snow line. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was a brilliant winter at 97. So there was, you know, a reasonable amount of walking, you know, lower down. And certainly that, for, you know, that first stage from from Bore Bore, you know, it is a bit of a debate whether you take skis for that first week mm-hmm. or so. Uh there's a guy actually, Grant Elliott, set off about a, uh, 10 days ago, uh, you know, using snowshoes and then picking skis up about 10 days in and, and so on. So it is a bit of a debate as to what you do. But Australia being Australia, in our winters, we get what we get. And, you know, uh, certainly Mark and Andy got some pretty hefty snow in 2018. Mm, yeah. Uh, I'm certainly hoping that uh, we get a, a few good falls between now and my start, you know, right at the end of July uh, to uh, to make more skiing but you know often when there's snow lying in very bushy terrain it's actually more challenging in some respects than than just hoofing it in some of those lower areas yeah exactly and yeah as you mentioned there you'll be starting at the end of july when you're planning to wrap it all up by mid-september is is, you know is is roughly on the itinerary so uh officially finishing at mount bimbury on on the act the highest peak in the ACT, but obviously I've got to get a little bit further down to a roadhead from there. So I'll finish at Honeysuckle Creek or Thawar or somewhere like that. But uh, yeah, so mid, mid-September. Yeah. Oh, well, um, yeah, hopefully that we can and meet you up at Falls Creek. And we were just chatting before we started recording that you might even, you know, stick your foot into the the hoppet and, and ski the 42K race if you've got the legs for it when you're up there. That's that's the plan, Rich. Uh, that's the plan at the moment. But if the planets align and I do get there in time, uh, I've never done the Hoppet. And, uh, you know, this year the Hoppet celebrates 30 years. So, yeah, that's going to be, I'll go and flog the body on the <clears throat> on the skating skis for that. Well, I'm, I'm entered in the 42 at the moment. That might drop down to the 20 <laughs> uh, closer and it might end up being the Joey Hoppet yeah. 7. Uh, we'll, we'll see how. <laughs> We'll see how we're feeling, but uh, yeah, that's a bit of a plan, and, and uh, you know that all adds all these things add a little bit of interest and uh, to the to the journey. Yeah, well, is there any any one part of the journey that you're actually looking forward to really getting to? Maybe in '97, you really enjoyed being in that area, and you know it's got fond memories or anything like that. Uh, look, I'm certainly looking forward to that, 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 that with some trepidation to that section across the Buller. Uh, I actually haven't been back to Bogong since 97, which is, I mean, I've done a few trips up Bogong before that, but again, for various reasons, haven't been back up. So, um, you know, Bogong is a very special place uh, to, well, to you Victorians, but uh, to, to, I think, all ski tourers who've experienced its charms and its, 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 its wild weather and stuff. So hopefully we'll get some pretty good conditions up there and, and enjoy, you know, a couple of, a couple of nice days up on Bogong. Looking forward to that. Oh, wow. Oh, Definitely be keen to to come up and do some turns up there with you if uh, the planets align for sure. That'd be Excellent. fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now moving away from the Australian Alps, or maybe maybe it does involve the Australian Alps. This question, I'm not sure. But you've completed a lot of really cool, interesting journeys. I've went through your website and had a read, and you've done a lot of cool stuff. But is there anything that stands out for you over your career as being like something you're really proud of, or maybe a favourite trip? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so, Rich, because all you know, all trips are, are, are very, very different. I mean, I, I, I loved my my journeys around Australia because that first journey in '97 from Melbourne to Sydney that that grew into a monster. Uh, sort of two thirds of the way 
to Sydney, I thought, well, you know, this is a bloody great way to see my adopted country. So why don't I link each of the state capitals by the the best deserts, rivers, mountains, ocean? So that developed into a journey to link all of the state capitals by kayak, you know, river or sea, foot, mountain, bike. Uh, and, and, and that was a wonderful series of journeys that sort of totaled 25,000 kilometres around Oz. Uh, so that was magic in its own way. I mean, the stuff that I, you know, did in, in the Himalaya was was beautiful, and and I guess you know, in, in in slightly more recent times, the journey that I mentioned earlier, where I, I circumnavigated the Mediterranean Sea uh, from Gallipoli back to Gallipoli uh, for sort of 363 days between Anzac Day and Anzac Day, and uh, you know, that was a very very special wow. journey in yeah. so many ways with. The most incredible. I mean, I went through 17 countries and 13,000 kilometers of, you know, wonderful seascapes and landscapes, but also just the you know, the cultures and the food and the wine of uh, Mediterranean Europe and, and 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 North Africa and 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 so on. So that was a pretty special journey for, for and, and you know for me, unbelievable that I. I managed to, to to get you know get it all done in 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 that in, in you know two days sh- short of the year that I'd set myself. So uh, so they're all they're all they're all special. And I look, I I consider myself to be very blessed to have had the opportunity to 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 you know do these sort of things and you know where possible do them for some sort of cause. Uh, but uh, there's no there's certainly no one that I say that's you know that, that's better than that because they're all good and they're all different. Yeah, well, well answered, and uh, yeah, I guess, I guess we'll just have to hear about them all one day. It's um, wow, and I could just ask a thousand questions about that paddling trip on the Mediterranean. To be honest, that's it's quite incredible, and and such a you know almost you, a year. That's that's amazing. You you can buy the book, Rich. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that probably Mediter- Mediter- Mediterranean, <laughs> a year around a charmed and troubled sea. That's a good, it's a good idea from you. It saves you a lot of time from yeah. you know having to answer yeah. everyone's questions. You just write a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Um, look, it's been great talking. But before we wrap up, obviously we mentioned the charity that you're raising money for earlier. Our yarning. Um, What's the easiest way for people to jump on and, and donate to that cause? Yeah, if you just if you just go to hughkingston.com, so H-U-W, kingston.com, all one word, hughkingston.com, uh, go to Alpine Odyssey, have a look at that, but you can go to the fundraising page. There's links on the website all over. It'll take you to the, the fundraising portal for Save the Children and... Donate, you know, whatever you can for 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 what I think is, and I hope many of your listeners would think is a is a very worthwhile project. No, absolutely, it's it's definitely a worthwhile project, and I'll be donating myself. And is there any way we can follow your progress on this trip as well? Look, I'll, I'll be posting a bit on my Facebook page and Instagram uh, along the way. I I do have a device that is, you know has a tracking uh, capability i'm not i'm not very much mr tech to be honest uh, i may get it set up in time uh, uh, but I, so then you know if, if people go to my website or social media pages then certainly if i get this thing set up that you can follow and follow the the dot as to where i am along the way uh, i'll endeavor to do that in the next uh, couple of weeks before i set off great and uh your socials, we just type in Hugh Kingston, we'll find you. 
I imagine. Yeah, I mean, Instagram is Hugh Kingston and Facebook is Hugh M. Kingston. It's a public page. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Hugh, thanks so much for coming on to the show. And I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy listening to our conversation we just had. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, thanks for your time, Rich. It's been, been great. Thank you. Thank you. And what a great chat that was with Hugh Kingston. And I want to thank Hugh so much for coming on and giving his time to the show. And please jump on to hughkingston.com to donate to our Yarning, a very worthy charity. And as of this point, I believe Hugh has just ticked over $31,000. There's only a handful of resorts left to purchase. So jump on there and donate to the cause. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Those telly guys hope you have enjoyed this program. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch at thosetellyguys at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe for more fun episodes. Otherwise, you can find us on Instagram. Thank you. (laughs) 